A few weeks ago, we looked at a couple of verses from Psalm 63. And I'd like to draw your attention back to this psalm with a few moments that we have here this evening. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Now, if you remember, this psalm was most likely written by David during the time that he was chased out into the wilderness when his son Absalom was seeking to take the throne away from him. David had not dealt with a number of situations as he should have and was reaping the consequences of that inaction. And David was dealing with incredible disappointment, despite the fact that the Bible tells us he is known to be a man after God's own heart. God had made him king over Israel. God had made him a mighty man of valor. God had prospered him more than he could have ever imagined and told him that he'd prosper him even more if he asked for it. But his family life was a mess and it was being ripped apart by tragedy upon tragedy, by bloodshed and much bitterness. And most of us have experienced enough of this life to know that we don't expect the journey of life to go smoothly. We, we've come to expect that there's going to be bumps in the road, that there's going to be tragedies that are going to strike, that there are going to be disappointments that will come up and hardships that we'll face. Even when life seems to be going good, many of us are hesitant to embrace the good feelings as we anxiously await for another shoe to drop. We're waiting for something to happen because we think things are going a little too good right now. It can't stay this way forever. We may not know what lies ahead, but we know and just have a feeling that something does lie ahead around the corner, and it is going to send us into a tailspin. And just when we thought we'd be able to have things be nice and quiet and peaceful for a time where we can rest and enjoy the fruits of a lifetime, a terrible surprise seeks to disrupt all of our hopes and dreams. David found himself in one of these moments, in one of these seasons, where his life seemed to be completely flipped upside down. He wasn't prepared for what he would encounter, but the Lord would use this time in his life for good. I want you to follow along. I'm going to read the entire psalm, verse, verses 1 through 11, and we'll come back and look at each of the verses, at least verses 1 through 8. Notice what the psalm says here. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips." When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword, they shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Every one that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. What I want you to notice first is David's hunger for God. David's hunger for God. 
The psalm begins with David in the wilderness. David's in the desert, essentially alone with just his thoughts. His first impulse, which is a good impulse, is to cry out to God for help and for comfort. Remember, God hadn't abandoned David. David had abandoned God. David was not acting like a man after God's own heart during this time, and he was paying for it dearly. His family was in shambles. His subjects, as the king, rejected him. Some of those who were closest to him, his closest counselor, had abandoned him, and there is a gaping hole in his life that only God can fill. David was all alone, and he went to the only one who could turn his despairing situation around. He went to God. Now, we've all been there, where at times we feel helpless, at times we feel completely alone. And sometimes it is the result of poor decisions. Sometimes it is just because God is trying to teach us something very important. Either way, we've all been there where life hits us and almost seems to knock the wind out of us. What we see from David is a hunger for God. The way he cried out to God in verse number one, it shows us that he recognizes God as his creator and as his deliverer. David longs for that relationship once again, and he uses three expressions to describe how much he wants that relationship restored. He mentions seeking, thirsting, and longing. Right there in verse number one, again, he says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Three expressions there. Seeking God, thirsting for him, longing for him. And each of these are are incredibly important. Each of them really describe a unique aspect of what he is. The idea of seeking the Lord has to do with the time of day. He will seek the Lord early in the day, he says. As he wakes up in the morning, he is seeking God. His day dawns with him spending time with God. David is thirsting for God. That draws attention to his current location. The landscape around him offers him no life-giving water. As much as he thirsts for water to drink, he thirsts more for spiritual water that only God can provide. And throughout Scripture, thirst, that element of thirst, is used to describe a person's deep longing for God. And David has dealt with numerous heartaches, and each of them have led him straight to God with a greater thirst for God. When David speaks of longing for God, it is the idea of being physically weak. The strength has drained from his body and he's at the point of fainting because his body is lacking the vital nourishment to be functioning at full capacity. So he's longing for refreshment. He's longing for revival. He's longing for recovery, both physically as well as spiritually. Now, when you think about how much David knew about God, it makes sense that he'd be calling out to him this way that we see him. But what about us? What about us today? We have the completed word of God here before us. We know God's plan from beginning to end. We may not have every single detail, but we know how the story goes, and we know how it's going to end. We have more of a complete picture of who God is as opposed to what David had to work off of. We have the finished work of Christ to look back on and have comfort in. We have so much more information available to us today as opposed to what David had. And yet, how often do we find ourselves seeking after God the way that David was? Where he is he's seeking after God, thirsting after God, longing after him. His entire being is just yearning to be with God. 
We have so many reasons as believers today to be seeking God, and yet we seldom exhibit the same hunger and the thirst and the same longing for God that David had. But what we find is that when life gets tough and we find ourselves in the metaphorical deserts of life, our cries to God become the very focus of our existence. That's all we can do because we've exhausted every other effort and often it's our own effort that have led us to be out in the wilderness and in the desert in the first place. And so the very basis of our existence now becomes crying out to God for help. And what David describes here in verse number one is not just a picture of his surrounding, but also a picture of his soul without God. The truth is that it doesn't matter how much you surround yourself with the creature comforts of this life. Even the most luxurious palaces can be dry and desolate wastelands spiritually. Only God can bring true refreshment and true rejuvenation to life. You can surround yourself with every comfort of life, and even if there is a momentary pleasure in these things, eventually it's all going to fade because nothing here on earth offers the same lasting satisfaction and contentment that we have in Christ. Someone has said that Satan knows nothing about pleasure, but his specialty is amusement. And I feel that so many of us are settling for amusement instead of satisfaction and contentment, which is only found in Christ. True joy, true delight is only found in knowing God and resting in his presence. Now, as we look at verse number two, it shows us the decision that is made by David regarding God's presence. Notice again what it says here in verse two. He says, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, it tells us about the story, the background to what is being described here in Psalm 63. It tells us about how David is fleeing Jerusalem when Absalom is coming into the city and basically trying to take away the throne. I want you to listen to, to verses 24 and 25, which will help us better understand what's being said here in Psalm 63 and verse number two. This is 2 Samuel 15, verses 24 and 25. It says, And lo, Zadok also. And all the Levites were with him, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had done passing out of the city. And the king said unto Zadok, Carry back the Ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. David didn't want a symbol of God's presence with him in the Ark of the Covenant. Because none of this was about the ark. He wanted the reality of God's presence with him. So look back at what it says here in verse number two of Psalm 63 and what David is really asking for, the decision that he's making as far as what he's looking for. He says, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. So verse one says how much he is longing for God, how much he's thirsting for God, how much he's seeking for God. And he says, God, nothing else is gonna settle this except your presence. And so as we look at what's described there in 2 Samuel 15, they're fleeing the city of Jerusalem and Zadok and Abiathar are there and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant with them as a, a visible representation of God's presence. And David says, send it back. Take it back to Jerusalem. Because he says, if I'm ever going to find favor in God, it is not going to be in the Ark of the Covenant, but it is going to be in God himself. And if God's going to bring me back, he's going to bring me back, and I'm not only going to see the Ark of the Covenant, but I'm going to see God as well. So send it back, he says. This is why he sent it back. He, it was not about the Ark. It was not about a symbol. It was about the presence of God and the guidance of God himself. 
David was saying, if the Lord goes with me in this, I'm going to see Jerusalem again. And you know what? The ark is going to be there when I return again. If God has rejected me, all the holy vessels, all the symbols of God's power and presence will be never good enough for me if God has rejected me. There's no substitute for God's presence, which is what he's saying. This is the true message here behind verse 2 of Psalm 63. Again, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. There is no substitute for God's presence. His desire was for God, not for some symbol of God, not for a sign from God, but for God himself. As his life is hanging in the balance, he realized that true life can only be found in God, which is described there in verse number three. He says, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. David is saying that the way God loves him is better than life itself. He can't think of anything more wonderful than to know that God loves him. When is, when is the last time that any of you stopped to think about how much it is that God loves you? When's the last time that you stopped and considered words like this where he says, because of your loving kindness, God, it is better than my life. It is better than the best that this life can ever offer. Think about it. As wonderful as this life can be at times, all of it is only temporary. But God's love for us is eternal. And that is why David is able to say, thy loving kindness is better than life. God, your love for me and your kindness towards me, it doesn't have a shelf life. Is it contingent upon how faithful I am to you? Your loving kindness is eternal. As much as we stumble and fall and make foolish decisions, God as our heavenly father is going to continue to love his, each of his children. And that's why David is able to say, because of thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. I want you to notice second, the importance of worshiping with fellow believers. The importance of worshiping with fellow believers. One of the reasons I love David is because he's real. And by that, I mean that we see him in, in, in all of the humanity that he is. We see the ugly side as well as the good side. We see the struggles. We see his mistakes. We see him stumbling through life. But we also see him consistent. I mean, there's a pattern of consistency of him grabbing a hold of his relationship with God, especially when life gets tough. This isn't David just mouthing the right words or pretending to be genuine. He sincerely means everything that he's saying here, and he deeply desires to be in God's presence. He wants to get back to the very unique experience of worshiping God and worshiping God with fellow believers. Some of you know that I don't like being away from church. For several reasons, I don't like being away. Even when we go on vacation, vacation is intended to be a nice, relaxing time where you disconnect from everything and spend time with your family and spend some time just relaxing and enjoying that time. And it's difficult for me at times to fully disconnect. I just don't like being away from church. Um, I know what you're thinking. I only work two days a week as it is. You know, my entire time as a pastor is basically a vacation. What do I need a vacation for? But one of the reasons I don't like being away is because I feel like I'm out of the loop. I don't know what is happening. I don't know things that are, that are going on in your lives. And I don't like not knowing how you all are doing. Another reason I don't like being away is because, believe it or not, I actually enjoy being around you all. Some of you better than others, but for the most part. 
No, I enjoy being around you all. I enjoy seeing you all. I enjoy spending time with you all, speaking with you, worshiping with you, praying with you, fellowshipping with you. Is it possible to worship God outside of the church building? Of course it is. But there's something different. There's something holy. There's something essential and irreplaceable about God's spirit moving among his people as they have collectively gathered together in the Lord's house. And this is what David longed for as he's alone in the desert here. David is yearning for communion with God as well as fellowship with the people of God. If you're finding church that it, it is more a matter of convenience, then something is very drastically wrong. If it is becoming easier and easier to replace church with something else, even if those things may sound good and, and be good, something is wrong. The more you're away from the sanctuary, the more you're going to find yourself like David, who is longing to see God's glory in the sanctuary as he once saw it when you were gathered with fellow believers in the sanctuary and in the house of God. Don't forsake the blessed assembly. All around the world, Christians gather together to worship Christ collectively. Many of them have to do it in secret, but they're faithful to gather. It seems that here in America, we take this blessed privilege for granted and substitute all sorts of other practices in place of attending church, and we convince ourselves that we're still getting everything we need for God in everything else that we're doing. When, God, when David was out in the desert, there was a gaping hole in his life that could only be filled with communion with God and fellowship with God's people. And in the midst of pain and even feelings of loss, notice what, he, notice what David did in verses 3 through 6 here in Psalm 63. He says, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. David praised the Lord. He praised the Lord. Such an expression is completely opposite to how the world would tell you to respond under certain circumstances. Reading these verses almost makes you forget where David, is and where David is and what he's going through. It says a lot about the Christian when they're able to praise God, not in times of prosperity, but in times of loss, in times of pain and suffering. When we're able to praise God in the midst of the craziness of life, we're able to unlock the power of Christ over pain and suffering. This is what this psalm is all about, praising God in all circumstances. Listen to what we read in Psalm 104 in verse 33. Psalm 104, verse 33. Psalmist says, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Do you realize what the psalmist is saying there? As long as I live, while I have my being. This has nothing to do with different circumstances, but has everything to do with forever. It makes no difference if life is going tough and your world is flipped upside down. We're to sing to the Lord. We're to praise Him as long as we live. We're to give praise to the Lord while we have our being. When life is going good and troubles seem to be fleeing from you, we're to praise Him continually. The psalmist is saying, Lord, if you continue to give me life and breath, I will continue to praise you. Regardless of how much my circumstances change, regardless of how difficult life may get, I will continue to sing your praises every single day. This is the true sign of maturity as a believer when you're able to praise God even when you're being just stretched to your limits. Praise God 
that we can still praise God in the midst of the craziness. But I want you to look at verses three through six again, and I want you to notice all the different ways in which David praised the Lord and how we can be praising the Lord as well. Again, it says, verses three through six, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. We praise him with our lips, he says. My lips shall praise thee. We praise him with our hands. I will lift up my hands in thy name, he says. We praise him with our will. He says, my soul shall be satisfied. We praise him with our mouths. My mouth, he says, shall praise thee with joyful lips. We praise him with our memories. When I remember thee, he says. We praise him with our minds. We he meditated on thee, he says. In other words, there's no excuse for us to not praise God as he gives us literally an arsenal of praise tools to praise him at all times. When your world turns upside down, praise God with every part of your body, of your mind, and of your spirit. When you can do that, you'll really start seeing God clearly. Look at verses six and seven once more. He says, when I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. When David couldn't sleep at night, you know what he did? He meditated on God. We've all lost sleep for a number of different reasons. Stress, anxiety, whatever it may be. The prescription for sleeplessness is not found in a pill or some form of medication. It is to focus your thoughts on God. God has a reason for all the circumstances of your life. There is a purpose he is accomplishing, whether or not it is all clear to you at this time. Trying to figure out why God is doing certain things is really not up to us to figure out. The best thing for us to do is to remind ourselves of all that God has done for us. Meditate on him in the night watches. As the song says, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Sing praises to the one who has blessed you beyond measure. And before you know it, God's peace, as we found out last month from Philippians 4, 7, which passeth all understanding, will come upon you and you'll get much needed rest. David had learned that any minor issue could easily become a Goliath. But in the light of God's presence, even the Goliaths are small. David found comfort in God's past faithfulness. That's why he said, Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. But now I want you to notice what he says in verse number eight. He says, My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. In times of distress, the best thing for us to do is to cling to God with all our strength. When children are afraid, what do they do? What do they do? They cling to their parents, right? And they clutch them as hard as they can when they're scared. If they're scared about the nighttime, if they're scared about anything that is happening, they'll run behind their parents and they'll grab a hold of their legs or grab a hold of their waist and hold them as tightly as they can and not want to let go. Are we ever too old to do that with our Heavenly Father? Do we ever get to a point where our Heavenly Father says, you know, get off me, kid? No. This is what David is saying here. 
He says, my soul followeth hard after thee. You know, I used to remember a day when I was a teenager and I used to think my parents were so old-fashioned that I didn't want to be anywhere near them or even seen with them. When we used to go to the mall, I used to try and walk like 30, 40 feet in front of them because I didn't want anyone to be near me or have them you know, be seen with these old folks who just you know, dressed differently and weren't just in style in any sort of way. So whether I was ahead of them or behind them, I just wanted distance between us. You know what David's saying? I can't be close enough to you right now. I'm going to grab you. I'm going to hold on to you so tight, Lord, because this time that we've been apart, which isn't any of your doing, God, it's completely of me, has reminded me of how much I desire and I need you to be by my side every moment. And so he says, I am following hard after thee. He is this little child who is clutching his father's leg as hard as he can, and he is not going to let it go. He is clinging to him as hard as he can. Many times God uses trials to draw us closer to himself, to remind us that he's still there and has always been there, and that his arm is the one that is sustaining us all the way through. And he never lets us go. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard believers give testimonies of how God has shown himself powerful to them, the greatest in times of difficulty. They've testified of feeling God's presence the clearest during some of the most darkest days of their lives. David dealt with his fair share of dark days, and all throughout his life we see God dealing with his enemies and giving his child victory. Even when David was running for his life from King Saul, he knew that the Lord would preserve him and not fail him. There seemed to be this calming assurance in David that even though he's in the midst of the storm, that the storm would eventually pass. The clouds of darkness would eventually give way to a ray of sunshine and the clouds would be completely rolled away. When you read through the Psalms, you seem to get this picture from David that he knows things are going to work out even though he's in the middle of the fire right now. No matter how dark those seasons were, he was always reassured that the Lord was with him and that the Lord's right hand upheld him. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. We sing this song in seasons of distress and grief. My soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. This is what David was doing here in verse number eight. He was clinging to the Lord, his heavenly Father, in prayer. As he had meditated on the Lord, remembered God's past faithfulness and God's past, past provision, he prayed and he tightened his grip upon his almighty heavenly Father. We're all going to find ourselves in the desert at some point. And when that day arrives, we don't have to feel unprepared or even ill-equipped. God has already proved himself all-powerful in our lives. Just spend some time reflecting on him. Even when we don't understand God's will, you keep clinging to him and trust that what he's doing, as painful as it may be, is right. Find reasons to praise him, using all that he has given you to offer praise to him for his many blessings. God prepares every circumstance in our lives for the purpose of strengthening us, for the purpose of maturing us as believers. He knows the importance of spending time out in the wilderness, in the desert, to get to know him better. He knows the way through the desert to bring us back to the place where we can once again see his power and see his glory 
so as we have seen it in the sanctuary. Would you bow with me in prayer here tonight? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we see through the life of David. Lord, I am, as I mentioned, so thankful for, Lord, the record of David and the many psalms that you have led him to write. I'm thankful, Lord, for how we see the ups and downs in his life because I feel that so much of what he goes through, Lord, relates to us personally. We may not deal with the exact same situations, but Lord, the feelings that he had and the emotions that were running through his mind and his heart, Lord, are things that we feel today. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of your presence. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of just how precious your loving kindness is and how it is indeed better than life. Lord, may we find reasons to praise you. No matter the circumstances, Lord, may we find reasons to praise your name and to be thankful for all that you are and all that you have done. In Christ's name we pray, amen.